This is the PMP Industry Insider Podcast. Welcome out to another episode of the PMT Industry Insider Podcast, where we look at what is changing in the industry and we take you to the front lines to those that are making those changes in the industry. My name is Donnie Shelton, owner of Triangle Home Services, which holds both Triangle Pest Control and Triangle Lawn Care, as well as the CEO of Colmarch, a digital marketing and sales services organization that focuses on pests and lawn. And with me, as always, is the highly, highly esteemed Dan Gordon. Dan, would you like to say hello and introduce our topic and guest? Absolutely. Hello, everybody. Dan Gordon, PCO Bookkeepers, M&A Specialists, uh, Fractionalized CFO Work, Exit Planning Specialists, et cetera, et cetera. And um, really interesting topic today. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, obviously everybody has to carry insurance, but uh, we're going to look at uh, two types of insurance that some people think about and some people don't, although uh, in this day and age, people are thinking about it more and more. Uh, today, our guest is Darren Valencia. He's a VP with CRC Group in Nashville. Uh, we got to thank our friend, uh, John Diesel, who uh, works for the CNI, CNI agency in Bluebell, Pennsylvania for the recommendation. Um, John's been in the industry a long time. He's always looking at health pest control uh, operators um, operate in a less uh, risky way. If you've ever bought insurance from John, he peppers you with a ton of emails uh, and hints and whatnot. Um, but uh, we really appreciate him putting us in touch with an expert like uh, Darren, who's a professional lines broker with an expertise in EPLI and cyber liability. And those are the two topics that we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Darren. Thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Thank you both, Dan and Donnie, for having me today. Great to have you. Great to have you. So, well, I want to lead us off here, Darren, and I want to talk first. Let's talk about EPLI or Employment Practices Liability Insurance. Now, this is something that I think a lot of larger companies obviously know that they need. Um, you know, you, oftentimes you talk to smaller companies about this and they're like, what are you talking about? So, Briefly, can you just kind of walk through what this is and then who needs it? And then just remember, obviously, that you know the majority of our listeners own pest control companies. Um, usually, I would say probably in the two to five million dollar range. Obviously, there's uh, outliers that, that you know are way lower than that, and some of them are way higher. But so yeah, maybe just walk us through what that is, and and then who would actually need it. Sure, absolutely. Um, first off, uh, EPL insurance or employment practices liability has been around for, I'd say about 25, 30 years since, since uh, it was first created. Um, it was an extension off executive liability uh, or management liability insurance, which had existed uh, for many decades. Um, and what it was really, uh, people it was almost in response to the uh, Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill controversy, which we all remember. Um, and what it was, and what it was really designed to do was fill a gap that other commercial insurance policies will not cover. A lot of business owners will think some of these things might be covered by a general liability insurance policy or even a workers' comp policy. Uh, but as issues have evolved in the workplace, especially since uh, the mid '90s, um, a lot of these things were needed to be addressed uh, a little bit more comprehensively. So. 
what EPL really does is it protects a business's owners and their operators when a worker sues over employment-related issues. Uh, some examples of these issues can include uh, harassment, which can include sexual harassment, uh, any form of discrimination, including uh, discrimination of race, religion, creed, disability. Uh, and then we also can deal with uh, invasion of privacy. Uh, and then when it comes to more employment-related type issues, such as failure to promote uh, or a wrongful termination, um, those are the types of things that we typically see impacting um, the small to medium-sized businesses today. And, and certainly, they are affecting uh, large businesses of all sorts as well. But those are really the top issues that we, we see impact businesses today. Um, and then, of course, there are a number of other workplace torts that can fall into that. But, but for the most part, like I said, and I would say that, you know, the top leading issues today which probably won't be a surprise to many people just because of what's going on in the news, the media, society, things like that, would be related to harassment, sexual harassment, and discrimination. So, um, yep, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead, finish. Oh, okay. So, like I said, um, many think that that kind of probably makes sense now why the uh, Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill controversy sort of um, springboarded this to... Um, to be created. You know, many people, especially victims of sexual harassment um, and discrimination, felt empowered to hold these guilty parties responsible, um, and as well as those that were operating a business, even if the one the, the business owners or top-level executive and managers were not actually directly committing the wrongful acts. But people wanted to hold business owners and managers and supervisors and HR departments responsible for uh, a hostile work environment, essentially. Um, so, so what this policy? I think what yep. you're saying so is that, uh, that that it's not just the owners; it's anybody who works for me who uh, harasses somebody else. I am responsible. That's correct. It doesn't have to be anybody in a position of authority or power that's committing the wrongful act. It could be someone that it works under you. It could be somebody that is your equal um, in, say, position or role. So it can be anybody that's in the workplace um, that that commits any types of these wrongful acts against you. Obviously, when you have decisions made about promotions or or if you if if an individual applies for a position and somebody else gets that role that maybe was not as qualified and there's there's questions about that, um, cool. those kinds of things fall to management. But you know you can have you know harassment and discrimination being committed um, between equal parties. So I have a question. Are, are these claims like common? Like, is this something that's, I mean, obviously I, I realize that it depends, but I'm just, I mean, I just personally, I've never heard of a, of a claim like this. Now I'm going to jinx myself. Now watch, I'm going to, by me saying this, you realize something's going to happen. But I mean, is it pretty common for, for claims to be filed and, and you know, under EP, um, you know, or is it, or is it something that's pretty or it's pretty, you know, I guess not very common to, to have happen. That's a great question. So I would say if you go back to, say, late 90s, early 2000s, typically the claims that we were seeing at that time, and I was actually just starting my underwriting career back then, um, what we were seeing there was more claims that were reporting that were going to be considered a catastrophic loss. So you had somebody in a very high, powerful position, um, 
that had just, you know, uh, terrible behavior uh, 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 towards maybe one individual or maybe it was occurring against a group of individuals um, that finally decided that enough was enough and they filed a class action suit. So we were seeing at the time more low frequent but high catastrophic claims. Today, everything has changed and shifted. Um, we have gotten to a point where um, you have a number of events that have triggered a change in claim activity. First off, we all uh, probably know about the hashtag MeToo movement. That in itself has uh, increased our claim activity on these EPL policies. And again, it's not just uh, businesses that you know operate in a Fortune 500 or 1,000 uh, arena and and have thousands, hundreds or thousands of employees. We're talking about very small firms, both in the white and blue collar industries that are now starting to experience these things. And the key thing here, and what's really changed the perspective is how retaliation against a person that files a complaint is being handled. 20 years ago, people were not as comfortable even though as I go back and people wanted, started to feel more empowered to bring these complaints, the thing is, is 20 years ago, people thought about it a little bit more. I mean, you think about sort of the, the one individual staff member who tells the, the dirty jokes or passes around the supposedly funny emails or just always has the, uh, you know, flirty type comment comments towards their, you know, the opposite sex or something like that. Those things years ago were just, hey, that's just how so-and-so is. So we just accepted it. We looked the other way. But today, people that are truly offended by those types of behaviors, whether it's in a digital manner or whether it's verbal or, whether, or, or, or however it's expressed, people are starting to ha you know, say enough's enough. And not only are they filing complaints with um, either their managers, supervisors, or if it's a little bit larger company in HR department. But what they're doing is, is they're ensuring that, that those, those people in power are holding the uh, alleged perpetrators responsible. And, and if they are not, if they feel as if management and ownership is not taking the steps to create a more comfortable work environment, many of them are then taking the next step to um, seek um, assistance from the EEOC, other civil rights uh, organizations, as well as, um, you know, filing formal lawsuits in a court of law for a hostile work environment. And retaliation is the biggest thing, though, to keep in mind. I mean, again, people always felt, okay, if I, especially if, if the alleged perpetrator was somebody that was in power, right, or in a managed or, or some sort of authority, authority position, it was always like, well, I don't want to tell on my manager because, you know, he or she keeps saying, telling me these, or saying, telling these jokes that are inappropriate, or they keep giving me that sort of inappropriate hug or what have you. Um, and, it, you know, it, years ago, like I said, they didn't want to do that because they felt it would risk their future employment, their ability to grow their careers, or even if they decided to leave the the company. You know, we all know that, especially in an industry like 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 
you know, pest control and, and lawn care and things like that, I'm sure many of the business owners in, in their communities know each other. They're, the competitors all know each other. So word of mouth gets around about a particular person. Hey, this person, you know, constantly complains about so-and-so telling jokes. People were uncomfortable with that. Today, retaliation is taken very seriously and the court systems and grand juries are, are monitoring how a business retaliates against um, staff members for, for, make, for filing complaints. So do you have a, so we have EPLI insurance through, we use a, uh, a PEO and, and included in our PEO is EPLI. And I believe the, uh, the, the deductibles like $25,000 and the maximum is like a hundred thousand dollars. So in other words, anything over a hundred, uh, we're on our own. Is that adequate coverage or how, what do you recommend for coverage and how much do these lawsuits you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you can't give me, uh, you know, what a lawsuit will be, but what, what's the average lawsuit cost a, uh, a business owner or insurance carrier when, when this happens? Sure. Sure. Well, talking about the, the coverage first, um, and then I have a great example to talk about, to go over about the cost, but talking about the coverage first, one thing that's important for everybody to understand and know is that Unlike general liability or property insurance or even personal lines insurance, EPL insurance is written very differently when, from carrier to carrier. I mean, there may be some similarities in, in, in definitions and in insuring clauses and certain features, but what's, what's very important is um, if, if a business owner is presented with say two, three, four options to choose from, or they're purchasing an EPL policy through um, you know, an endorsed program or PEO, they, they really wanna try and understand what, what that policy does and what it doesn't do because it's going to differ from carrier to carrier. And the, the business owner will have, business owners need to determine, you know, what coverage am I looking for? How broad of coverage do I want? Is there any additional features that I want? For example, in the last probably 10 or 15 years, um, wage and hour claims have become a major problem. So years ago, 15 years ago, we didn't cover wage and hour claims because it was either if somebody worked overtime and you didn't properly pay them for that overtime and they filed a complaint, we're not going to insure you for owing back salary to somebody, right? But today, because lawyers have grasped onto and made a case for wage and hour issues and even going deeper into uh, you know FMLA and things like that, they, we had to build coverage back into these policies, at least from a defense standpoint. We still today will not pay the uh, back wages that it may be owed to a, a, to a staff member. But we'll at least provide the defense coverage with certain carriers um, if the case if a case is filed against the business owner. So every policy is a little bit different. And then when you're talking about deductibles, yes, the size of a deductible on a on a typical EPL policy has increased over the last 15 years, and that's really due to market conditions because EPL claims are at an all-time high. Um, what underwriters are really looking to do today is they're trying to weed out very small frivolous claims and they want, and, and it's kind of a way to hold business owners and insureds accountable to 
clean up risk management, clean up loss control, improve your handbook, make sure your HR department is up to date, up to speed, make sure employees and staff are getting training at least on an annual basis for, you know, about harassment in the workplace, discrimination in the workplace, what's right, what's wrong. They want to hold them accountable and not have to pay those frivolous claims. But again, those higher deductibles are really a reaction to market conditions. Whereas if you went back 10 years ago, we were getting smaller deductibles on these policies, especially so, for Aaron, smaller employee counts. Yeah. I was going to say, before you go to the second part of Dan's question, yeah. I just real quick, you said that these vary greatly between carriers. Do you recommend like specific things that, you know, say our listeners should be are looking for when they're evaluating, like, is this a good policy or not? Like, is this really worth me doing? Is there, is there specific things they should be looking for? Yeah, I, I think, well, there, there, there's all kinds of, I mean, we, we could talk for hours about different things, but just to give you a quick summary of a couple of very important key items. One, you, I think the, one of the most important things is, is the policy a duty to defend policy or reimbursement policy? And what the difference is there is a reimbursement policy, basically you report a claim to the carrier that you have an EPL problem, but it's really on you as the business owner to go find an attorney, hire them, and, and get them going in the process. That can be problematic and time-consuming because you may the business owners and insurers may not know who the best attorneys are in their area to, to defend that. Whereas if you buy a duty-to-defend policy, which most EPL policies are issued as, you're relying on the carrier to have already done the vetting process for the proper attorneys. They're getting individuals in the in the also look at is how is defense costs handled. Um, Years ago, we used to be able to buy a policy where defense costs were what we call outside of the limit. So therefore, whatever those expenses were, they would not actually erode the limit of insurance that you purchased. Today, those things are not really available anymore just because of market conditions, but you can still ask for an additional excess limit for defense coverage. So if if a business buys a million dollars of EPL, they can ask their agent, hey, is it possible to get an additional million dollars of defense coverage? Because the key thing here is defense is what costs the most in EPL claims. Um, and then, like I said, thirdly, and probably most importantly, is is wage and hour, what we just talked about. Wage and hour claims are an all-time high, um, dealing with exempt versus non-exempt employees. But even going further in dealing with, um, you know, are you, is a business uh, properly managing uh, stat, uh, employee rights under FMLA and FLSA um, and, and um, in certain regulations there. Because businesses are finding today, especially once they've had a claim and as they kind of audit how they handle exempt versus non-exempt and things like that, a lot of businesses realize they're, they're, they, they have some work to do, you know, and they have some, yeah, some so, things they need to so, fix. So if I'm a carrier, w- wouldn't I just go right in and look at the payroll right away to, to know whether you're in violation or they'll just write these policies? Because we were never asked. I mean, I think we're in compliance, sure. but, um, you know, we were never asked uh, how we pay for people or anything like that. 
<laughs> yet hasn't gone that far yet carriers do have you know epl applications are um, ask very specific questions about risk management hr pr practices and procedures so um Honestly, they've relied on the brokerage community to um, like include like my like a firm like myself and um, the folks where John Diesel works at CNI and alike. You know, we we re we have to rely on ourselves to vet um, risks and help um, an insured uh, or a prospect insured understand you know um, what's important and also keep in mind that it's important I think for a business owner if they do get an EPL proposal. To read the policy, ask for the specimen form, read the, ex and more importantly, go in and read the exclusions because one thing about these types of policies is they don't tell you a ton about what they cover, but they're very specific about what they don't cover. And if it's clear that you've committed intentional acts, if it's clear that you were negligent, um, intentionally negligent in, you know, paying people their overtime and things like that, the policy is probably going to be rescinded. Gotcha. But but it, the fact so so in pest control we have it it, it goes way beyond exempt and non-exempt it goes beyond it, it's seven A eligibility I'm sorry seven I eligibility um, outside sales exemption things like that um, and a lot of times what we find is that people are not complying with that but there's no malice in, intended that's just you know they're they're just not uh, doing it properly so is that an out for the insurance company. Um, not necessarily. They may ask more questions about that, and then what they may do is recommend um, um, that the in, that the insured have a conversation with the risk management control. Which a lot of the good policies out there. That was probably another thing that that uh, you know insureds or business owners should ask about is does this policy give me any risk management or loss control services? A lot of these policies today will come with um, the ability to. Uh, set up an appointment and talk with a firm, a, a third-party vendor that's been designated by the insurance carrier to have conversations about policies, procedures, laws, things that are applicable to their business industry. Because, you know, I mean, I'm, especially for me, probably like John and like many insurance professionals, we're dealing with many, many industries at a time. And it can be challenging for us to keep up with what is unique about each industry out there. So because of that, that's why it was so super important that these carriers created their risk management services. And then, like I said, they'll put, they'll put in recommendations, say, you know, we'll give you this year to, you know, make these improvements and take advantage of our risk management services. If the policy comes up for renewal and certain changes have not been made, then what they'll do is they'll either make significant changes to the terms of the policy or they'll just, you know, non-renew it altogether. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. We need to we need to switch gears here. Um, Dan, do you want to you want to talk about cyber? I, I don't. I want to yeah, make sure we spend yeah. some time on that as well. So, um, moving on to cyber. Um, so, give us a type that, an example of the type of claim of a, you know a several million dollar pest control company could face in this area. And 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 I'll have, I have some other questions about um, that, but. Uh, Cyber, you know, a lot of people think, well, we're not in the software business. We're in a very low tech industry and whatnot. How does cyber insurance uh, or how does a cyber claim affect me? Yep. That's well. So basically, the cyber exposures for businesses have shifted so dramatically just in the last couple of years. So, you know, 
10 years ago or so, we were so concerned with a traditional data breach where a business held or was responsible for certain data that was sensitive. So social security numbers, credit card numbers, driver's license numbers, things of that nature, um, health, you know, HIPAA protected information. And then it was, you know, okay, so if I, if, if I'm, if I as a business experience some sort of data breach, someone breaks in, steals that information, or one of my vendors that I use to store that information with has a, has a data breach, how do I deal with the expenses related to that? So the cyber policy 10 years ago was really a, a policy that would act as a breach response tool. Um, today, and how it really impacts the classes of business that we're uh, talking about today, as well as many relatable, is, is the way that cyber attacks have shifted to more of a first-party attack. So in other words, ha- bad actors are not necessarily trying to steal data. I mean, we still have traditional data breaches every day. There's no doubt about it. But they've shifted their their goals to now creating these cyber crime or what we call e-crime type of attacks. And very inclusive of that and probably the most important, that especially that impacts many of the businesses uh, we're talking about here today, are cyber extortion threats. Now, cyber extortion threats have evolved enormously today and cause all kinds of problems. So first of all, how the how they sort of start. Usually what tends to happen is a business becomes infected with malware and malware can can um, be released into a network a number of different ways. You could have somebody that receives an email that they should not have opened or that had an erroneous attachment to it that contained malware in it. Now, employees may, somebody, a recipient of that email may open, say, that attachment and realize, oh, shoot, I shouldn't have opened that. I realize now that this was some something that, you know, isn't legitimate. So then they delete it and they may not notice anything after that. Um, they may not notice that their system is running slow or crashes or anything like that. So they may just think, oh, okay, I, I guess I'm fine. And they don't say anything to anybody. Well, the malware could have been released at that point, um, no matter what, even if it doesn't show evidence. Other ways is that if businesses have websites um, where they do their advertising or even if people can go online and pay their bills and things like that, there's various ports that have to be open and created for that network to communicate with staff members, networks, as well as allowing users to come in and, and do on and take advantage of any online services. And so therefore, um, those open ports, if they're not properly secure and protected with the proper software, um, bad actors can easily drop malware into uh, the ports and then that can enter the network. Now, what tends to happen once that occurs is bad actors will typically, in, in a, one thing that's to keep in mind, business owners always think, why is some hacker, say, in Russia or China, why are they targeting my small little pest control business, you know, in New Jersey or Pennsylvania? Like, that's not what they're doing. Um, they're not out there thumbing through the yellow pages. They, they literally are shooting, sending out malware to, to thousands of companies and thousands of email addresses at a time. Um, and they're finding what sticks. And again, they're not targeting a specific company per se. They're targeting open vulnerabilities that exist in cyberspace. So Once Dan, they've I have gained access... Yeah, please. Sorry, Go ahead. I didn't mean, I didn't mean, so 
no. so there's 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 malware. I, I had a situation happen. I think I've told this story on the podcast before. If I have, then people can just come in old grandpa. But probably about three years ago, we had lighting installed at our home with a local landscaping company. And as the guy was finishing up, I'm like, hey, do you want me to cut you a check? What do you want me to do? He goes, well, you know, I don't like car, but you can pay me PayPal or whatever. And so we did that, right? I mean, that, that, that evening I went on, you know, PayPal, sent him the money. Everything's fine. Got the receipt. Everything's great. Um, and then like two days later, they call me like, hey, when are you going to send that payment? I'm like, I've already sent it. And I, and I sent them the confirmation that I'd sent it. And as it turns out, this guy had been hacked and a, a hacker had intercepted his email and had set up these rules where there was a third party inbox. So every time he would send an email, it was actually getting filtered through this hacker's email and he would respond back and forth. So he would pretend to be the business owner, essentially, and he would intercept the messages back before they got to the business owner and then he would modify it. So essentially what he became is he came, he became kind of this third party and he managed the conversation. So when he sent the request via PayPal, it actually came from a hacker. And this happened in a matter of like two weeks. And it was pretty substantial how much money this guy was able to get through PayPal. And I called PayPal and PayPal was like, sorry, Charlie, you know, and said the same thing to him. And I, I just was like, well, I don't want to tell you this. I got an email officially from you. Here's the, you know, here's the email. Here's my receipt that I paid it. I'm not paying for a lighting system twice. Is that something that would get covered under kind of the cyber, like a, a situation like that? Because it was, it was pretty, it was pretty sophisticated once we kind of figured out everything that had happened. So if the policy, cyber, unlike we were talking about, or like we were talking about with EPL, where the policies differ from carrier to carrier, this is even more important to consider because they are absolutely positively different when you go from carrier or product to product. And in, in certain, if, if the policy is properly written and it has the right coverage features and triggers added to it, that's a claim that could potentially be covered. Absolutely. Um, we are, the, that, that type of uh, claim is becoming more prevalent today, especially when we're dealing with digital payment. Obviously, we're in this sort of world of a cashless checklist environment, it seems like, and we're, we're doing payments through Venmo and PayPal and and other platforms. And what business owners have to realize is that um, you can be, because of the malware, you can exactly that type of scenario can occur, but also too, um, it can occur on the vendor side as well. And the vendors could, are, are just as, while they're responsible for, you know, processing payments, storing and protecting credit card data and following certain federal regulations, if they fall victim to any type of malware attack, extortionary attack, or just a traditional data breach, um, their liability is to basically inform the merchants who use their services. But at that point, then the merchant, the business that's using those services to process payments or store credit card data or what have you, they, be, they inherit the cyber attack. They inherit, inherit the cyber mm -hmm. problem and could be financially liable for that, even though it didn't technically happen on their watch, right? I had a... Um, a, a, a arborist type company up in um, the Northeast that basically um, they had a pretty sophisticated system for all of their uh, file storage 
uh, or excuse me, customer stores. And they, 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 most of their clientele was on a commercial level. It wasn't so much, you know, homeowners and whatnot, but it was on a commercial level, but they also had a very sophisticated GPS system that they used for their trucks and for a lot of their, um, machines. Um, and the, the uh, malware attack that they experienced, the, ha- the bad actors got in there and not only were they sending out manipulated invoices that had changed payment instructions on them to the insured's clients, but they also um, crashed that GPS system and basically sent uh, you know, a note to the CEO that if you want the key to unlock uh, your GPS system, you have to pay us two hundred and fifty thousand wow. dollars. Well, the the business owner panicked. Um, they actually bought cyber insurance, but they bought it in in a very quick manner and didn't really take the time to understand the policy. And therefore, um, they didn't report the attack to their cyber carrier. They ended up not knowing what to do with it. This GPS system was so crucial to keeping up with their job. Uh, you know, timelines and things like that. They needed that system to be up and running almost immediately. So they paid the ransom. Um, They also, I guess the, 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 the GPS system was down for about two or three days was the max that it was down um, while they were scrambling, trying to figure out what to do. The aftermath impact was really what's important to consider. They had some business income loss that they had to file a claim for because, you know, there were some, there were some jobs that they had to uh, walk away from. There were some other uh, con- contractual issues that they ran into. So there was some business income lo- loss that they experienced because of that. They were out the $250,000. Most of their uh, equipment had to be replaced. It was uh, damaged from the malware. So they had that cost. Um, ultimately, we were able, they called us when they realized that this should have been reported to the carrier. Used through our attorneys, we were able to convince the carrier to pay the claim. Ultimately, ended up costing them about $850,000 in a loss. Wow. So, we, we've, um, had, we've had several, uh, what Donnie just described with, the, with PayPal, we've actually had people hijack uh, the boss's account. And then we get emails or uh, people in the organization get emails uh, to that, that they need to wire money, and we've actually had three or four clients actually wire the money, like ten, twenty thousand dollars. Wow! You know, the, when the boss gets, you know, hey, sent you sent you the uh, wire that you sent that they asked for, and the boss is like, what wire? And that's happened yep. several times. We we watched that happen. But uh, nope. Yep. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I had another one that was kind of interesting, and you tell me what your take is on this. So we had a client that was using a payroll company that was not like an ADP or a Paychex. It was a local payroll company. And if you don't know about local payroll companies, a lot of them go in and out of business and and they're handling all of your payroll taxes so they can abscond with it. And so uh, that's exactly what happened to this client that um, the payroll company absconded with all of the withholdings that they were supposed to remit to the government. And, um, you know, um, is that a cyber crime if you're reporting payroll over the internet? You know, like in other words, I go to the portal and I have to do my payroll, but my payroll company then goes and steals all my money. T- tell me, um, you know, what what are your thoughts on something like that? Yeah, that, that's a that's a tough one because it really depends on, you know, where 
It depends on, so with first party coverages that are built into these cyber policies, what triggers them is that something would have had to occur on the insured's business side. So for example, if an, if, uh, if an employee who's responsible for paying invoices, for example, um, if they were to receive um, an, uh, an, uh, a fraudulent instruction request from a fraudulent email and they didn't go through a verification process, um, th then that's the kind of thing that triggers because it happened on, under the insured business's watch. Or for example, if let's say, because this is another example kind of onto what you're saying is some bad actors will monitor email activity and they'll see, okay, I see that this business just hired, you know, this new guy, John Smith, and John Smith is going to be running this new division. So now um, they'll send an email to ask for a verification and bank account information or wire transfer uh, ex uh, uh, acceptance for, let's say, well, we, John Smith's going to get a $5,000 or $10,000 sign-on bonus. And they'll, that will get sent to the payroll company and look like a legitimate email coming from you know, the CEO, the, 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 you know, the uh, CFO, the manager, whoever, somebody in an authoritative position to make those financial decisions. Um, they'll send it to the payroll companies and payroll companies are dealing with you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of issues per day. And so they approve it and they release the money. Um, that's a type of claim that could potentially be covered because it came from the insured businesses network. Mm -hmm. Okay. What, what is not covered is if something happens on the vendor side and money is lost that was, that was belonged to our insured business. The only retribution they have is to either try to work it out with the payroll company to get any money back that they're, that they're owed, or um, they'll have to file a lawsuit, you know? And then at that point, um, the vendor would have to file a claim against their cyber liability insurance policy or their professional liability policy potentially. But what's super important through all this is that when you, when you engage in a contract with a, with a vendor, whether they're providing payroll services or any type of other service, business owners need to question, vet, and scrutinize what type of insurance those businesses are purchasing and ensure that, that they have the right things in place to essentially, it's not going to indemnify your, you know, the, the, uh, the, the client, but it will at least give them the ability to file a lawsuit and potentially, you know, receive reimbursement for their lost money. So, so it's, it's funny. Case. Yeah. It's, well, the other thing I would say is let me translate what Darren just said there, because the situation that Dan brought up happened in Raleigh about, oh, probably about 15 years ago. And it was a local payroll company. First of all, the translation is, is that this happens, you're SOL, most likely, because you can you can sue all you want. The money's well, gone. I, I, you know I'll tell you what happened with our client. The payroll company was gone. We sued the cyber carrier and ultimately won the money from the cyber well, that's I would say, you know, back when this happened in Raleigh, there were several businesses that went out of business because of this this happening. And and the reality was is the government doesn't really care because what they care about, you can claim all day, well they said they were going to do it. It's your responsibility as a business owner and they will not they will not, you know, uh, they won't let you off the hook for it. And so that's a right. 
that's I mean it's you know it's Dan's point it's a very good point and if you're using a local company I would verify that my deposits are happening because this is not uncommon I've, I've heard of it several times that especially with local yeah. payroll companies is for them to do that so well Darren this has been outstanding we have we have gotten to the end of our time here Dan any parting questions here before we close out no, I, I think this is a very interesting topic and uh, probably should explore it even further, in, you know, in the future. Um, the cyber thing just is, is um, you know, the pipeline, uh, you know, all, all these different cases and, 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 and the ransomware, uh, and it just keeps going and going and uh, very, very interesting stuff. So uh, thanks so much for being with us, Darren. And um, we definitely... Uh, should probably have you back and, and and talk about it a little bit more. And Darren, I got one final question for you. Um, yeah. If folks want to learn more, and we're going to try to put some resources up on the um, up on the show notes. But if they want to learn more, if they've got questions that you know, obviously, if this draws questions in their mind, can they reach out to you? If so, how do they do that? Where can they learn more? Uh, maybe just for our listeners here before we close out. Yes, great. So um, we are, because we are, the, we're a specialty lines broker, we don't work with business owners directly. So I would recommend that they would reach out to John Diesel at Consolidated National. Um, but they also could reach out to any of, you know, their, their current insurance agents. But if they do, you know, are looking for some resources from my company, um, they're welcome to um, uh, visit our website at uh, crcgroup.com. Uh, we've put up a number of uh, tools and intel up on that page that are open to the public and are constantly addressing EPL issues, cyber issues, as well as other issues uh, in the insurance, commercial insurance marketplace. Uh, my contact information is on that website um, under the Nashville location. Um, you can reach me by email and phone number there. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to take phone calls or, or emails from people for general questions and recommendations. Uh, but in, but in typically we, uh, you know, refer all sort of insurance placement requests, questions, concerns to the retail insurance agent side. And like I said, John Diesel and I have been working together for uh, just a little over a decade right now. And we've worked uh, very closely on doing cyber deals, especially in the um, pest control and lawn care um, industry. Big, big plug for John Diesel. We need to uh, put his information up on the website. He works with a lot of our clients and he goes above and beyond. And uh, he's actually yeah. very good at uh, client services. So good, good, Thanks, good. Sir. Well, Darren, this has been fantastic. Thanks again for reaching out and we're well, not reaching out, but for joining us here on the podcast. And, and we've yeah. done it. We've gotten to the end of another podcast. Just a reminder for those that are listening if you enjoyed this episode or any of our episodes, please go out and rate and review us. Those are very much appreciated. Dan and I do this uh, out of the kindness of our hearts. We obviously are not paid, luckily, at least not for this. But we do enjoy doing it. At least I do. And I enjoy talking with guys like Darren. I learn a lot. So yeah. with that, we're signing off, and we'll see you all next time. You guys take care. Bye-bye now. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye.